Now, over the last couple of uh, weeks, we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And today is the final session that I'm going to wrap it up on the Lord's Prayer. So what I would like to do is to ask you to read the Lord's Prayer together or say the Lord's Prayer together with me. And I'll conclude with a sermon called The Consequences of Praying the Lord's Prayer. What will actually happen to us if we take this prayer seriously and if we really pray with understanding and know what we are praying, what will actually happen to us when we actually do that? So this is uh, where I'm heading for today's sermon. But I want to invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. And we have a group of uh, Koreans friends here. Uh, you are free to uh, say the Lord's Prayer in Korean if you are more comfortable, okay? Or whatever version that you are comfortable with. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you have missed any of our sermon in the last uh, seven weeks, you can always go to our YouTube channel or our website and listen to it. This week, I think last Monday, the uh, movie Grease iconic actress Oliver Newton-John uh, died at the age of 73 and surrounded by family and friends. And I read newspaper, just as many of you do, that there was an interview last year has surfaced, has resurfaced where Oliver Newton-John spoke of her spirituality and how she turned to faith when she was at risk of losing her daughter Chloe. Now, of course, she's already 36, and at that, in that time she had a baby, she was already 38 years old. So, uh, this is what she said. She said, I remember when I was pregnant with Chloe, and I was close to losing her at one point. I went to bed and I asked God to save her. And if she did, she said, I would say the Lord's Prayer every night for the rest of my life. And so I have. I think prayer is very powerful. That's what she said in, her, in the interview. Now, I don't know about Oliver Newton-John's spirituality. I don't know whether she's a Christian, whether she believes in Jesus. Maybe she learns the Lord's Prayer when she was at school or, or RE. I don't know anything about her. Nothing was written about that. But her point is that the Lord's Prayer helped her in her life at very critical point where she needed it most. And I want to challenge you today as a conclusion of the Lord's Prayer that we have expounded each one of the petition. As we come to the conclusion, what is the consequence? What will be our consequence when we actually really seriously pray this prayer every day with understanding? What will actually happen to us? I have seven uh, 
points here that I want to give to you for the remaining time that I have. The first thing that I believe what it will happen to you when you pray the Lord's Prayer seriously is that you will remember who you are. The first thing that Jesus taught his disciples is to how to address God. And Jesus said, you address God as our Father. That God is not a force. God is not some sort of an entity. God is a person. And so, when you address God as Father, you are saying that you have a relationship with God. You are His son. You are His daughter. Our Father in heaven, you are acknowledging who you are. You will remember who you are. And so to say the first line of the Lord's Prayer is to answer the deepest question of identity at the heart of our culture. Because most people don't know who they are. Do you know who you are? If I were to ask you, who are you? What would you say? Would you define yourself with your profession? I'm a doctor. Would you define yourself as Chinese? Or I'm Korean, I'm Indian, I'm Afghans. Who are you? So many people define ourselves based on many other things. The title in front of our name, the money that we have in our bank account. Who are you? And so the Lord's Prayer begins by helping you to understand remembering who you are as you move through lives. Because as you move through the challenges of life, many, many things will try to rob you of your identity. And that is why people commit suicide. That is why when people retire, they are so lost their identity because they're no longer able to do what they always have been doing. Suddenly, I can no longer do what I used to do. And I lost, who am I? I lost the identity of who I am. And you lapse into depression, you become despair, you become discouraged. And some even went to the extent of taking their life. The first line of the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are not random specks of matter floating through an infinite universe. We are created and we are called into relationship with our Creator who loves us as a parent loves their child. We are caught into relationship with our fellow men and women as sisters and brothers. You are love and your life has meaning. Psalms 139, David says, you are a child of God. You are wonderfully made. You are dearly loved. You are precious in His sight. And 1 John chapter 3 we don't use this word very often, but it appears in the Bible that says, What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. When was the last time you used the word lavish? We often talk about lavish, it's only our lifestyle. But here it says, How great, great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So many people are feeling so unworthy in their lives. So many elder people looking back on their life, they feel that they are a failure. 
But you must remember your identity is in Christ. You are a child of God. You are more than your past. You are more than your financial situation. You are more than your title. You are more than your job. You are more than your personality. You are more than your triumphs and your failures. You are a child of God. You must define yourself radically as one beloved of God. This is your true self. Every other identity is illusioned. You are a child of God. This is who you are. This is your identity. And the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity as a child of God. So life isn't about finding yourself. It is about discovering who God created you to be. And if you begin to discover who you are in Christ, then it matters less and less and less and less what people think of you. How many people live in prison and slave to people's opinion of us? And we are so conscious of that. Charles Spurgeon said, Child of God, you cost Christ too much for him to forget you. So when you begin the Lord's Prayer, when you say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First and foremost, you are saying who you are in Christ. You discover that you are the child of a living God. Never in your life allow anyone to rob you away from this fundamental identity that you are a child of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. You can always return to Him. Number two, when you say the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are saying that you will have courage to live well in an imperfect world. Because Christians believe that God chose the nation of Israel and promised the nation of Israel that a new covenant that Christ will come. God himself will come in the person of Christ and usher in the kingdom of God. And when Christ came, he ushered in the reign of God to each of our lives, to the Gentiles. But he also said that the kingdom of God still lies in the future. It's already here, but it's also in the future. It's already started when Christ came, but the full consummation of the kingdom is in the future. So when you understand this, then you will have courage to live well in this in-between time that you live in. This is what we call the in-between times. We are not despair because the future kingdom will dawn when Jesus returns. We live in the tension of this in-between period where the kingdom of God had dawned but its full consummation is still in the future, here, between here. Christ came here, Christ will return. This is where we are now. And we are living in this tension period. The world is not yet as it was intended to be. God is at work within it, bringing justice and peace. But that work has begun in Jesus Christ, but it's not yet complete. And that is why you and I, we are aware of the suffering in the world like no other generations before us because of the 24 hours news and instant reporting from anywhere in the world. 
And therefore, you and I, we need a framework to understand the immense suffering and the evil in the world in order to know how to live, that you won't, will not lapse into despair, no hope. But you live within this tension period knowing that Jesus will return in the future. Oscar Romero, he wrote a prayer, an article called A Step Along the Way. Some years ago at our prayer meeting, our elder, Les Davis, read this prayer before we, during the time of devotion. And I like the prayer so much, I search for it, I store it, and once in a while, as a pastor, I revisit this prayer because maybe you don't feel as much as I do because I'm a pastor, I'm entire life breathed into ministry in a sense. And so this is what Oscar Romero says. He's an he's a archbishop from El Salvador. He's a champion for the poor people. And he was accused of being a communist. He was all kinds of things. And his life was being threatened constantly. This is what he said in this prayer, A Step Along the Way. He said it helps now and then, to step back and take a long view in life. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is actually beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. And if I may add in, no theology, whether you're Reformed or Pentecostal, no theology can fully comprehend and confine and put God into a, a book. No program accomplishes the church mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. And then he went on to say, we cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something. And not just only to do something, but to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way. An opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. And then he concluded by saying this, We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers. We are not master builders. We are ministers. We are not Messiah. We are prophets of a future, not our own. A step along the way. Understanding that the kingdom still lies in the future, that the kingdom has already ushered in, we are living in between this tension period, we can have courage to live well in an imperfect world. Because life has lots of challenges, we all know that. 
and maybe some of you are facing more challenges than others. Sidlow Baxter, a very fine Australian commentator, write lots of commentary that I read almost every day. He said, what is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? He said, our attitude towards it. Why? Because every opportunity has a difficulty. And every difficulty has an opportunity. What a way to look at life that way. And therefore, we, we can have this confidence to joyfully live in an imperfect world. So when you say the prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, you have these worldviews that governs you, that Christ will return in the future. In the meantime, while we're living here, we use our gifts to serve the Lord, to water the seed that has been planted by others or plant the seed that will be watered by others. We do all that we can in this lifetime and do it well knowing that God is the master builder and not us. We are the messenger, not the Messiah. Thirdly, when you come to the petition, you ask God, gives us this day our daily bread. You will know that the only way to be content is Jesus. The only way to be content is, some, in some sense, learning contentment. You know, all year round, we are bombarded by advertisement. Every time we look at a screen or listen to the radio or listen to YouTube and then halfway they cut you off with an advertisement, unless you pay for it, the single aim of advertising is to steal our joy and create discontent and longing for more stuff or different experiences that would deliver. But Jesus teaches his followers to pray each day not for more, but just for enough. I'm not in any way suggesting that we should not uh, store for, for rainy days. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it is a fundamental to say that things alone will never satisfy. At the end of the day, you need Jesus to fully satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart. This is the open secret of what it means to be content and find joy in this life. And that is to realize and appreciate what you already have. And I think this line alone is the antidote to the misery created by our consumer culture. Do you appreciate what you already have? Or is your, this longing is always for things, feeling more things that will satisfy that deepest hunger of your heart? Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, said the central neurosis, neurosis of our time is emptiness. Clinics are crowded with people suffering from a new kind of neurosis, a sense of total and ultimate meaninglessness of life, despite of the fact that they have so much. How can Melbourne be the best city and most livable city in the world, and yet depression are so high? How is it possible? It's just to underscore that Material things will never satisfy. Bertrand Russell, uh, an atheist, wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. He was born into a Christian home and he was taught to believe in God, but he rejected his training and became an outspoken atheist. 
But after he died, his daughter wrote about him and said this, Somewhere at the bottom of his heart, in the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that once had been filled by God, and he never found anything else to put it in. And to give life's meaning, one must have a purpose larger than oneself. Jesus is the answer. Gives us this day our daily bread. Lord, you are ultimately the one that satisfies our material things won't satisfy. And therefore, we only need just enough. True contentment is not having everything, but in being satisfied with everything that you have. Paul says about this in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So contentment doesn't come naturally. You have to learn to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this famous verse that many people quote out of context all the time, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's in the context of contentment. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. To live in contentment gives us this day our daily bread. Always be contented in what you have because God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for you. Don't compare. Christian contentment. Someone said Christian contentment is a sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Gives us this day our daily bread. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Nothing else will. Nothing else will. Number four, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and forgives us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, you will live with the imperfections of yourself and others you will live with the imperfections of yourself and others. If only, if only we confess our sin daily to God. If you have the habit of confessing your sins daily to God, that will give you, you will be in a greater capacity to forgive others. We are not able to forgive others because we do not see ourselves as sinners. But the more, the, when your eyes is open and you recognize that you are a sinner, you need the grace of God, then you will naturally be in a position to be able to extend forgiveness and grace to those around you. 100%. We will be able to live with the imperfection of yourself and others. You will be able to forgive yourself as well. And some of us, we need that because we screwed up. We make a lot of mistakes in our lives. 
how many parents think that, oh, I wish I could go back again, you know, uh, raise my child this way and that way, you know, how I wish, how I wish, how I wish. You're living only how I wish. And that guilt always stays with you. How I wish when I was young, I didn't go down this path. How I wish. And we live in that kind of guilt all the time. Forgives us our sin. Lord forgives us and the Lord will forgive you. The Lord will cleanse you from all your sins when you come before him. Forgives us. How many times we need to go on our knees and ask God to forgive us. Unless you are as perfect as Jesus, all of us in need of God's grace. We all stand under the foot of the cross, all on the same level, because we need the grace of God. And then fifthly, you, you will live with the hope of reconciliation. You not only ask God to forgive you, but you also ask God to give you strength to forgive those who sins against us. On Friday night, my wife and I, we had dinner with, with a young man. And in our conversation, because he had an estranged relationship with his father, and we were trying to encourage him to reconcile, I asked him, I said, your father has done wrong to you. Your father has asked for your forgiveness. What more can he do? Can you tell me what more can he do? He has made a mistake. He has asked for your forgiveness. What else do you want from him? Do you want him to kill himself? What more can you do? Can he do? He cannot do anything else. He cannot return back and undo what he has done wrong. Will you not forgive him when he asks for it? Will you not reconcile? Is it better to live this way? Or is it better to reconcile? Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe your yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, saying the Lord's Prayer forgives us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, it reminds you and I that other people are imperfect as well. We are imperfect, others are imperfect. Your husband is imperfect, your wife is imperfect, your sons are equal sinners just as much as your father. So why do you demand perfection from them? Isn't it best to acknowledge that and forgive each other generously and graciously as we live together? We need to find a way to deal with our relational issues. 
Otherwise, all our relationships will be spoiled and clogged up and we will increasingly be alone. Which is actually what happens to people who are unable to forgive. Somewhere near the root of many mental health conditions is isolation. And Jesus offers us his prayer, this prayer, to say each day in which I let go and forgive the things others have done to me. The small slight, the neglect, the careless words, etc., etc. Holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. And forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. It sets you free. Forgive you who live with the hope of reconciliation. When I came to Australia in 1996, I was studying in Bible College in Lilydale. And one night after studying, sitting in the library for many hours, I'm sick of reading all this theological book and this view and that view, this position and that position. I, did, I decided to, to watch a movie. And the only cinema that I've ever been to is Forest Hill. And from Lilydale, I asked my friend, a Singaporean, for his car, an old bomb, 20-year-old car. I said, can you lend me your car? I really need to just go out. So I drove from Lilydale to Forest Hill. And I went, I don't know what movie to watch. I stand there, look at that. And there's a movie called A Time to Kill. I said, that's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's by... Samuel Jackson, you know. Uh, I said, all right, I will go and watch that movie. And I bought the ticket, I went in there and I sat down. I sat at the last row and it was 9.30 movie. And I sat there. I saw one person sitting at this corner, one person sitting at that corner, one over there, one over there. Only five of us in the whole cinema. And I said, hmm. There are many lonely people here. There are many lonely people in this society. My first year in Australia. Many lonely people. 9.30 p.m. Alone, watching movie. Myself included. Feeling lonely, you know, no one. But there are many lonely people also due to because of relationship. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you will live with the hope of reconciliation. Resolve a conflict is always better. I mean, resolve a conflict is always better than dissolving a relationship. Number six, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You will be resilient in a challenging world. My friend, the world is a difficult place to live in. You and I know that. Anybody live life long enough knows that. There are many temptations, many challenges, and most of the challenges are hidden. Hidden challenges. You cannot prepare one. There are hidden challenges that comes along your way. Suddenly you got a cancer. Suddenly your son uh, fell down and, and, and broke his leg and, or become a quadriplegic. How, how do you prepare yourself for all these kind of things? Life is full of challenges, full of temptation, full of trials. 
that we need to go through that. And consumer culture eats away at our resilience by persuading us that life should be really about comfortable and easy all the time. That is one of the deepest lies that ever told to us, believing that life is all about comfort and convenience and there will be no challenges. You just sail through, you know. How I wish I can sail through. Is your life like that? Sail through? We all have challenges. Human life is difficult. Over the course of your life, you will face many challenges, illness, adversity, relationships, which goes wrong, failure, bankruptcy, make wrong decisions, and you relieve the consequence of those decisions that you make. And to live well is to have an understanding that life is challenging and hard and because of the imperfections in this world and in yourself and in others. But strength and help are available in God in all circumstances. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. To pray the Lord's Prayer each day is to prepare yourself for whatever difficulties lies ahead of you on that day. St. Peter said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God if you suffer as a Christian. Praise God that you count it worthy to suffer for Christ, as Paul says. Some people interpret... Uh, lead us not into temptation, specifically referring to the, to the reaction, response from believers, because in the specific context, is the temptation of violent resistance to Rome's violent domination. Instead, it asks God to deliver us from that evil action or that evil want. So in other words, about avoiding violence even or especially when undertaken to hallow God's name, to establish God's kingdom and thereby to fulfill God's will. And as a result, you get persecution and this prayer of lead us not into temptation so that we won't respond in a violent way to this kind of attack, this kind of domination. You will, ha you will be resilient in a challenging world that we live in, that are so well hidden, that you need to have strength to be able to finish well and strong. Finally, this part of the scripture says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It, it, it's only written as a footnote in your Bible. It is not actually a, a, appear on your actual text. Because in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 11 and Matthew 6, they don't have this verse. It is believed that it was added by the church at later time. 
But as I already mentioned in my very first sermon, it is God's word anyway, but David's prayers about in Chronicles. It takes us back to the beginning. It reminds us that a life lived well is a life lived with purpose through the glory of God. That whatever you do, whatever you live for, you're doing it for the glory of God. And that kind of orientation will help you to move in the messiness of this world, that you're doing it for the glory of God. So number seven, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you will understand the end of the story. That God is sovereign, God is in charge, God is the master builder, God is the Messiah. We are just part of it in the process. And therefore we can look to Him that He is in charge, He is in control. We will not be too despair, too discouraged when the world changes or whatever. We are panicking, fearful. You trust that God is there, God is sovereign and God is in charge. In the end, God holds the end of the story. God will bring all things to completion. God will watch over us through this life and welcome us beyond death into the life to come. That God is over all and in everything and all manner of things shall be well because God is in charge. Not you, not me, not uh, Joe Biden or, or Anthony Albanese or whoever. They will come, they will go. But God is sovereign. Let me finish with this. I mentioned to you about Oscar Romario. He was a champion, devoted his life fighting for the rights of the poorest. And because of that, his life was always under threat. And Romario declared his readiness to sacrifice his life for the redemption and resurrection of El Salvador. His unreserved advocacy for human rights made him a hero to many. And he was also a target by some extreme right-wing government. And on the 24th of March 1980, uh, he was gunned down after visiting a hospital. But just before he died, a few weeks before he died, he said this. He said, you can tell the people that if they succeed in killing me, that I forgive and I bless those who do it. Hopefully, they will realize they are wasting their time a bishop will die, but the church of God, which is the people, will never perish. A bishop will die, but the church of God, which is the people, will never perish. Why? Because God is in the picture. God is in the picture. Everything is moving down towards his ultimate goal. There are only 63 words in the Lord's Prayer. It takes less than one minute to say them. Yet these words shape our identity. It gives purpose to our lives, check our greed, 
reminds us of our imperfections, offer a way of reconciliation, build resilience in our spirits, and it calls us to live to the glory of God, our Creator. May you pray this prayer with deep understanding and may it transform your life as you live for Him. Father, we thank you for teaching us how to pray because we don't know how to pray. Because we are sinners, because we are selfish, sometimes we only ask for requests that meet our needs. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Forgive us, Lord, that we have not prayed. If only we take seriously about prayer, if only we seriously, maybe pray like Olivia Newton-John every day, seriously. It will transform the way we live. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this series that we are able to study together. We pray that we will now recite and pray through the Lord's Prayer with new eyes to see you in an amazing way, to live life to the fullest under the sovereign will of your plan, confidently, joyfully, sacrificially, for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord. As we sing and close this song, please remind us we do everything for the glory of God. Amen.